for tuning in to the Journey Podcast. May today's message help you in your own spiritual journey. Today I'd like to begin with a survey. Uh, it's a survey of uh, the various types of lessons that you may have enrolled in or you, you've tried during your lifetime. Uh, just a show of hands. Uh, how many of you have ever taken some type of music lessons? Okay. How about uh, swimming lessons? Golf lessons? Okay. How about dance lessons? Okay. Uh, cooking lessons? Well, I just wanted to ask that because uh, uh, our society now, uh, even before actually, uh, believes so much in continuing education. In fact, in the last five years or more, uh, there have been a number of online education platforms that have risen and here are a few of them. I'd like to show you some of them. Uh, if you're not familiar with some of them, these are online platforms. Uh, where you can enroll on dif- uh, enroll in, in different subjects or topics that you want to. Uh, you can learn new things, even study them at your own pace. Of course, you have to pay, but they also offer free uh, lessons, probably introductory lessons. But platforms like uh, a few of the ones that you see, uh, I know in our day and age, you can learn through YouTube, right? You can just uh, search in YouTube and uh, watch a video and learn. But uh, what these platforms uh, offer is uh, from these platforms, you can actually get credit and have legitimate credentials from universities even. In, In Coursera, for example, you can earn credit and certification from universities like the University of California, Stanford University, University of Michigan, Georgia Institute of Technology, and many others. And you can study courses from programming, uh, using Photoshop, speaking English professionally, even photography and data science, marketing, and so, so many subjects. Now, how to write a book? anything you're looking for. And uh, we believe so much about continuing education, uh, or at least uh, the surveys say that, uh, that in 2016, according to the Coursera blog, the most popular course in their platform, even topping courses such as R programming, uh, Python programming, data science, data analytics, you know, the difficult stuff, you know what the most popular course was? Can you make a guess? Well, here's the title. Learning how to learn. Powerful mental tools to help you master tough subjects. And you can get credit for that in the, in the University of California. Now, while all of these lessons are very good, the ones that I mentioned, there's one area of lessons that most of us, we have never had any public or formal training in. And the, the problem is, it's the most important area of all. And you know what that is? It's the area of relationships. And we all need lessons in relationships. Now in this series that uh, we're going through, it's entitled Better Together, we're looking at principles, important things we need in our relationships. And of course, it's first with God, with our family and loved ones, and of course, the church, the body of Christ. And last week, we looked at praying, praying together. And this week, we looked at how to encourage one another. Maybe some of you here, you need encouragement today. 
the focus of the lesson is how you can be an encourager to others. And so some of you, even as you converse with people in our church this morning, maybe you can start to practice later and uh, start to encourage others. Um, how to encourage one another? Something that would help us in our horizontal relationships. Man to others. In Hebrews 10, 25, it says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day growing near. And this is the passage, the main text that we're going to look at. And in this passage, we're going to look at two things that would help us better encourage each other. The first one, be present. Be present. If you notice the passage, it begins with not neglecting to meet together. So there's uh, what we call physical presence. Okay? Meeting together. The passage implies physically being present. In our church services, being physically present brings encouragement. You know that if you see more people around, sitting around, you feel more encouraged, right? Like if you hear a lot of people singing together, worshiping, you are encouraged to do the same thing. We are encouraged when we see people in the same pursuit and journey we are in. The pursuit of Christ, bringing Him glory, and uh, by humbling ourselves together and letting His truth, as we listen to the Word of God, reveal things in our life that we need to stop doing, that we need to let go of, that we need to surrender and change. And we allow that to happen when together, we are present to hear the Word of God in a corporate setting. But another setting is our presence in small groups. We have been uh, highlighting and pushing this in, the, uh, in this series, the importance of being uh, a community of small groups. And we have what we call the DNA groups here at CWC call it DNA because it stands for Discipleship, Nurturing, and Accountability Groups. And like uh, what I did last week, I'd like to ask those who are part of a DNA group, please raise your hands. And I encourage each one of you, look around. Please keep your hands up. Okay? So, those who are part of the DNA group, in this location, of course, there are other locations that we, uh, that SPC meets, uh, in this location, uh, those who are part of the DNA group is a minority, okay? It means many of us are not part of a DNA group, but it's important. We need it. Discipleship, nurturing, and accountability. Our presence in a small community where spiritual friendships are built is essential to encourage others, okay? In that community or small group, to grow, but also essential for our own spiritual journey. Spiritual friendships need to be present in our lives, but also we need to be present for others to provide them spiritual friendship. Basically, what the DNA is trying to do is it facilitates us as a body of believers doing life together. Of course, uh, a lot of us, we may think you know, we need to meet once a week, but you know, it doesn't have to, to be that way always. We don't have to be, you know, like uh, strict, okay? We can be flexible. What's important is you are part of a community where you have developed spiritual friendships. And it's different in this corporate setting, okay? Because we can have spiritual friendships here as well, but we don't have time 
to, to talk about lots of stuff here. Like when, when we shake hands, when we greet other people and talk to them. For those who are part of a small group community, a DNA group, let's take being present deeper. The next sub-point is applicable not only to our relationships in small groups, but in every relationship that we have. And that's... Okay, I forgot to click that. But uh, yeah, the, pre the presence of spiritual friendships is important. It helps us grow, but it can also help others grow. But it must be part of our spiritual discipline. It's very important. We're not Lone Ranger Christians. But uh, if you're already part of a small group uh, or not, the principles that we're going to look at next uh, can apply to your family relationships and any other relationship. We can be encouraging by being fully, fully present. Be fully present. Aside from being physically present in our relationships, of course, including the spiritual relationships we have, we need to be fully present. You know, physical presence is important. Do you agree? But we also need to be present mentally and emotionally. Romans 12.15 Can we read this aloud together please? Ready? Begin. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, how can we do this if we do not feel those whom we interact with? If we don't feel what they feel? Especially the people we want to connect to. The spiritual friendships that we're developing. Or, if not the spiritual friendships, our families. Have you ever experienced being in a conversation with someone and they ask you how you're doing? And so, you give an answer and you, give, you share uh, an update about you. And when you answer them and you started to share, you sense they're not fully present. How did you feel? You feel like, uh, I don't like sharing again. Oh, this guy's not interested, really, about my life. I mean, I have been in those type of conversations. You know, being asked how you're doing and when you begin to share, uh, you notice they start to take over the conversation. You know, they talk about themselves. They talk about you know, what's really happening in their life and not yours. Although they started out asking how you're doing. And uh, that feels a bit discouraging. And you know what? I've even experienced that conversations like that with friend pastors. But have you experienced someone asking you how you're doing and then when you answer and start to share, you sense they're really interested. Have you had those conversations? You know, like, uh, it just gets your attention. You know, it's, it's, just a, like, it's just like a random, how are you? But then when you start to talk to them, they're really interested and they're really listening to you. You know, they're engaging you. And I'm sure when, when you were in that conversation, you felt encouraged. So how do we become fully present? It's through the ministry of listening. Listening. Did you know that one of the best ways that we can encourage someone is by being fully present and really listening to them? Most of the time, it's not having to say what we need to say or give advice or provide a solution, but to really, really listen 
we allow others to be known and to be heard. Listening. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together wrote, The first service that one owes others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as the love of God begins by listening to His Word, so the beginning of love of brethren is by learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that He not only gives us His Word, but also lends us His ear. Aren't you glad that God not only speaks to us, but He also listens to us when we pray? It's a two-way communication. One offer further, further says, But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. One who cannot listen long and patiently will presently be talking beside the point and be never really speaking to others. Albeit he be not conscious of it. Anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God and his brother, but only for himself and for his own fathers. You know, listening takes effort. I mean, you need to, to focus. You need to be silent. And, you know, it's, it's natural for us Especially in this corporate setting, I'm guilty of this. Maybe I've conversed with you here, and maybe you notice me looking at looking around because you know it's time to go or, or service has to start. But it's not supposed to be that way, and I apologize. That's why we encourage you to be part of a small group because in small groups you can give that time. You can give that focus. You can give that attention. So how can we be fully present when someone is sharing? It's through active, active listening. Uh, this, this material is simple, but it's very powerful. Uh, I mean, I've been uh, in small groups for many years, being in the ministry for many years, but only in the last three years that I realized I haven't really been listening properly to people. And we, we did this exercise where, you know, uh, three people were sharing, uh, were, were part of a group. One person is the speaker, then another person is listener A, Another person is listener B. And I'll tell you what they did. So, first, listener A, as the speaker is talking, he listens for the content. Like, when we listen for content, we try to understand what the speaker, what the person is trying to say. And if it's possible, we try to make a mental note of Keywords, or maybe an outline in our mind of the content of what they are trying to share. We also try to listen to what is not said. You know, what, what they're supposed to be saying, but I think they're omitting something. You know, uh, when uh, they said something and they did not explain it, or they quickly talked about it, or they were avoiding it, listening for content. When they're sharing it, they pause for a moment. Through, through listening to content, we can verify if we're understanding by sometimes paraphrasing what they already have shared. Or if it's quite long, you can summarize and reflect back to them. Actually, if you go through a counseling class, this is what they're going to teach you. You listen and you reflect back. And 
when we do that, it makes the person who is sharing feel that, oh, he understands me. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. So you feel the connection. And doing these things would help him clarify if you're really understanding if you really understand what they're trying to say. So, in that exercise, listener A listens for the content. And after the speaker shares, he, listener A is given time to, to summarize or reflect back, okay, this is what I understood from what you said. Now, another part that we need to listen to is or feelings. A lot of times, we listen for content and it's just here. We know. But we, we skip this part and we do not empathize. So when we listen for feelings, that's when empathy comes in. And in the exercise, that's what listener B was listening to. Like as the speaker was sharing, he's not really focused on the content, he's focused on what is that person who is sharing, feeling as he was sharing. And when we listen for feelings, or even a lack of it when they're sharing, uh, we differentiate it from content. Usually the content contains ideas or thoughts, what they're sharing, but when we listen for feelings, we are trying to understand and know how they are feeling as they're sharing. Are they feeling sad? Are they mad? Are they angry? Are they fearful? Are they joyful? Etc. And you can even notice their lack of feelings. How? Maybe you can notice they're apathetic. Like, when they're sharing something that's really sad and you don't sense any feelings or emotions, I mean, it won't make sense. It makes you ask the question, uh, what's happening in your heart? That's very sad. Okay. But another thing that we listen to or observe is the body language. It's the body language. Noticing that when they're sharing and they're teary-eyed, for example, it says a lot about how they feel. And in the exercise, listener B also takes time to reflect, okay, as you were sharing, this is what I sense that you were feeling. And really, it's an exercise just to help you identify those things, but listener A and listener B is supposed to be one person. That's you and me. But when we listen to other people, we listen for content, we listen for their feelings, empathize, and we observe their body language. Or, you know, if, if they're teary-eyed and the uh, you know, it says that they're sad, uh, they're feeling something deep, passionate about uh, that uh, thing that they're sharing about. Uh, but another thing is, it could be the opposite. They're sharing something really, really sad and they're smiling or laughing, joking about it. It makes you, you know, question why are they doing that? Are they avoiding the pain? It, it gives you more insight to how, as to how you listen to other people. So when listening, um, we, we listen for these three things. Content, feelings, and body language. Now, we must also be aware that when someone is talking, and you are the listener, remember, they are also observing your body language. 
Okay, like when when you're listening and you keep keep on looking at your watch, what does it communicate? Or they're they're talking and you're listening and you. I am taking that risk. 
And that's what we're communicating. Uh, Genesis 2.25, in the beginning, uh, God talks about a type of, of relationship, a type of intimacy, a level of intimacy. In Genesis 2.25, it talks about being naked and unashamed. Although its context is marriage, the principle of being truly known applies especially in spiritual friendships as well. If we are to allow that to be part of our spiritual discipline, when we commit, it's like we're saying, I allow you to know me, to care for me, to challenge me spiritually. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And to understand this passage, um, you really have to try it. Like, if you've gone to the market and you try to buy meat, and before they, the, the butcher cuts the meat, he gets his other iron uh, to sharpen his, his knife. And you know, that process, when iron sharpen, sharpens iron, that process involves friction. It's painful. It's a painful process. There are times when there will be classes of personalities, classes of uh, opinions, of differences. But if there is commitment, it's, it's, it's okay. But if there's no commitment and something uncomfortable happens in the spiritual friendship, sometimes people just fall away. That's why there are churches, um, they are having second thoughts about encouraging people to join us more. Why? Because they, they have experienced that through the small groups there were divisions happening in the church. Like when, when people start to be in conflict in the small groups, depending on the people there, on the level of influence of the people there, when conflicts start to happen and those conflicts are not resolved due to lack of commitment to each other, to love each other, there's a falling away. And people start to build walls. So commitment is important, especially in spiritual friendships. You know the story of Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. Uh, it offers an example of the way friends can sharpen one another. You know, they, they were supposed to be rivals actually. Both were attractive, athletic, and even gifted emerging leaders in Israel. And both of them were seen as potential heirs to the throne. The throne uh, of King Saul. And you know that Jonathan is, is the heir, the legitimate heir, because he's the son of King Saul. Yet despite this type of relationship between David and Jonathan, they had a deep friendship based on a promise they had made to one another. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 to 4, and let me read this. Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because uh, he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So, Jonathan made this friendship covenant with David, even though it would cost him the favor of his father. David, in turn, committed to Jonathan by promising to uh, show unending kindness to Jonathan and his family. So, David had a true friendship with Jonathan and vice versa. Because, what? They willingly made sacrificial commitments to each other. And if we are to be an encouragement to people around us, or in the context of small groups, we need to make sacrificial commitments as well. And it needs to be mutual sacrificial Elred of Revolt, in his book, Spiritual Friendship, argues 
that the mark of a true friend is the willing to stand with some, the willingness to stand with someone even when it is difficult to do so. And we, it sounds so cliche, but friends will not fly away when we suffer or fail. True friends won't. You know, you would know who your true friends are by recalling those who didn't abandon you when you went through the most difficult situations of your life. You know, a real friend like Christ stands shoulder to shoulder with us in times of trouble and hardship to make our burden lighter by carrying it with us. I have shared with you that my wife and I went through a time of crisis in our marriage. Uh, we had to go through us, uh, years of uh, healing and during that time of my life, when I stepped down from the ministry, it was a very, very lonely time. It was a time in my life when God was showing me who my true friends were. The people who were really out for my good. Those who were committed. Those who showed unconditional love. And uh, of course, it was very, very awkward. You've seen me here. During that time, my wife and I would be here. And, you know, during the time that it was still fresh, I know people would, would try to greet us, but they really don't know what to say to us. With, with, the, with the things that happened, they don't really know how to converse with us. And it, it was lonely. And uh, during the time I had to find a group outside of our church that, you know, who would listen to me. And uh, after a year of doing that, God laid it on my heart, you know, I need to, to go back and build relationships with I mean, with, with the things that happened to us, it was awkward. Uh, of course, I was a pastor. You know, that stepped down and people didn't know how to relate to me. How could they minister to me? I was supposed to be the one ministering, you know. It's, it's that uh, messed up. And, you know, God laid it to my heart, I need to go back and build relationships. So, I think it was 2014 that uh, there was a men's fellowship held at SBC Masina. And uh, in that fellowship, there was this form that the men who participated signed. You know? It's like uh, uh, a commitment that you know, we stand together, we'll be praying for each other, and being so long in the church. And after what happened to me, uh, I found it a bit shallow to just sign that paper and go back to the old ways and not really relating with people. So a week after that, I asked Ted, Ted, I asked him, can we start and practice what, what we're signing here? Let's be together. I mean, if we can do it every week, good. If, if not, it's okay. But I was communicating to him, I need people committed to me, especially in these things that I'm going through, in this healing process that I'm going through. And I know we need each other as well. Bottom line, we agreed and we started uh, this men's accountability group. Uh, and uh, it has uh, grown. Some of the men here, young men here, have, have been part of that group. Uh, even some of the future pastors, and some are even pastoring already, they're part of, of uh, that group. And, Another group came out of that, which was led by my wife, was a group of ladies. And, uh, you know, in, in that 
setting, we were able to take you know, the, the acquaintance level of friendships that we had and take it deeper. You know, you may have many friends who are really just acquaintances. Alred says that we may care for these people, but it would be imprudent to lay bare our souls and pour out our inner hearts to them. You know, we should bear only our souls to those we are certain want the best for us, know us better than most, and would never betray us. We should not form intimacies too quickly. You know, soul, soul friends, if you may, we may call it that, take time to cultivate. And we will likely only have one or two of those types of friendships in, in any given time of our lives. Already rise. But what happiness, what security, what joy to have someone to whom you dare to speak on terms of equality as to another self. One to whom you need have no fear to confess your feelings. One to whom you can unblushingly make known what progress we have made in the spiritual life. One to whom you can entrust all the secrets of your heart and before whom you can place all your plans. And it takes a commitment, mutual commitment, in relationships, trusted spiritual friendships with whom you can share your stories, anxieties, your joys, your burdens, your struggles, and hopes is a priceless gift. You know, you will feel lighter and freer, but committed spiritual friendships is not just something that makes us feel better. It's a gift that helps us become better. It grows us. Amen? Its goal is not to have all our viewpoints validated, but the ultimate goal is in that relationship, the people involved, that Christ will be formed in us. That's the goal. And we can encourage others by being fully present, physically present, fully present, but also being committed to that relationship as friends. Now maybe you're here today and God has put or even awakened or rekindled that desire in your heart to build spiritual friendships. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, our church started uh, Class 501. The focus is mentoring a mentoring relationship. And I know it, it may sound like more like tormentoring, you know? uh, but it's not a formal relationship like, okay, you'll be my mentor, my mentee. You know? It's really just building that deeper spiritual friendship with another person. Like, like uh, what we've just read. It's someone that you can have equality with. Like, you know, even for pastors, for ministers in the church, we need people to, to level with us and talk to us. Real talk. We need those types of relationships. And maybe that has been rekindled in your heart. Your heart uh, and your desire to build spiritual friendships. Maybe you're saying, I'm praying for spiritual friendships in my life. Or maybe in your marriage, you know, couples need other couples' friends as well. You know, you can, you can isolate as a couple, you know that? But as a couple, you need other spiritual friendships with other couples as well. Maybe some of you, you're praying for your teenage kids. I pray that my kids they're growing up here in church, but I don't see them developing any spiritual friendships. Maybe that's your prayer for them. I encourage you to do these three things. Pray that God will give you spiritual friendships for yourself, for your marriage. That's your prayer for your teenage kids. Start to pray. And 
as we have practiced, uh, talked about last week, pray fervent. Really ask God. You know, God has orchestrated a lot of spiritual friendships in the Bible. Just like the ones with Jonathan and David. Even with Jesus and the disciples. And even the, the nasty things that happen in, in those type of relationships. But God orchestrates those things. Pray for them. Secondly, ask people. If, if this is for you, ask people to do things with you and initiate opportunities to deepen relationships. It doesn't have to be a small setting like if you're going out for coffee and you need to talk to someone, invite them out. Like uh, for those who are mentoring younger people, like maybe you're older and you need to you want friendships with us or they want friendships with you. Like what I've done in the past is like, we're getting groceries, would you like to join us? And just join us and let's just talk while we're, we're getting groceries. Just, just those typical stuff. Do life together. We can, you make use of those times. Third, be a friend to others. You know, the book of Proverbs says, uh, a man has to show himself friendly. Let's initiate. Maybe some of you, your prayer is, I want to be a better encourager. I want to be a better listener. I want to be a people builder. And I'd like to encourage you during our invitation time, fervently, sincerely ask God, Lord, I need you. I need these things to happen in my life. I need you to make them happen. Let's all bow our heads and let's close our eyes as we pray. How many of you here, maybe that's your prayer. God has rekindled a desire in your heart for spiritual friendships. And maybe your prayer is, Father, please provide, orchestrate relationships in my life that I may develop real, deeper spiritual friendships. Maybe that's your prayer. Anyone like that? As all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. Maybe that's your prayer. That's my prayer, Pastor. God has put that in my heart and I need that kind of deeper spiritual friendship in my life. Anyone like that here? Maybe your prayer today is Pastor, please pray for me. I want to be a better listener. A better encourager. Thank you. Anyone else? Maybe your prayer is, uh, I want to become a better encourager uh, of the spiritual friendship that I can offer to others. I want to make myself available. Anyone like that? that that's your prayer. You know, the kindest thing you can do for someone is to introduce them to Jesus. Maybe that's the encouragement that you can start with. Some of you maybe you're in your own personal development process. You need to begin that. And maybe your prayer is this, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into my heart and help me become what you made me to be. If you've never done that, maybe you can start by making that decision today of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, admitting that you need Him. And it's only Jesus that He has provided for you in your life. And maybe your prayer is, Lord Jesus, come into my life and help me discover what you made before. I want to know you in
heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Can I invite you, if that's what you want, to pray that prayer? If, if you want to invite Jesus, ask Him right now and just talk to Him. You can use the words that I said, Jesus, I need you and I need you to come into my life. I need to have a personal relationship with you. I want to know you and follow you. I invite you to be my personal Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sin.